Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to the Walnut Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metza. I have a big show two weeks from tonight at the Women's Club. We are celebrating the release of my book, Alphabet Jazz, Poetry, Prose, Stories, and Songs. It will be an evening of conversation with author and radio host, Andrea Swenson. My two musical compadres, Mary Harris and Sonny Earl, will also join me for a set of original music. Last month, I did a great interview at WTIP Radio up in Grand Marais, Minnesota, with a DJ by the name of Will Moore. We talked quite a bit about the book and this and that. We are going to replay that courtesy of WTIP. So here you go. It's Paul Metza, Iron Rage singer and songwriter for many decades and a friend of the station for a long time. And he has a new book out here called Alphabet Jazz, Poetry, prose, stories, and songs, and it has a companion CD as well with a lot of his music over the years, some live ones on there, and uh, he's here to talk to us about it today. So welcome, Paul, for uh, first time live here on The Scenic Route. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm uh, a big fan of WTIP. I stream uh, your station with great regularity. That's what we like to hear. And you're going to become a part of the programming. We'll get to that at the end of this interview. Uh, but first, I want to talk about uh, this book and this CD. And it sounds like you've written a book before. I saw you had one in like 2011 yeah, that 20, came out. It was called Blue Guitar Highway. It was my autobiography published by the University of Minnesota Press, which was there was a certain satisfaction there because when I moved to Minneapolis – in 1978, I wanted to, I'd uh, taken, uh, I'd been playing guitar pretty much my whole life, and I was taking classical guitar lessons from Robert Wander uh, at UMD, who, come to find out, is the father of the great uh, writer and rapper uh, Dessa, Dessa Darling. Oh, no way, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, it's a weird coincidence. So I took, I went to do an audition for the U of M music program, and I passed my uh, playing exam with flying colors. And I remember the very first question on the theory exam was, what is a Neapolitan chord? And I said, I'm screwed. <laughs> Something to do with chocolate and strawberry, yeah, right? <laughs> exactly. And vanilla. And uh, so anyway, I got a letter back, which I wish I would, would have still had, that said, upon reviewing your test scores, we highly recommend you find another field of study. So it was with great satisfaction when 30 years later they called me and said, would you be interested in writing your autobiography about your 30 years in the music business? <laughs> <laughs> yes, vengeance. They're in, and they're, they're actually going to re-release it this spring in paperback. I have another book coming out uh, 
called Blood in the Tracks, the Minnesota musicians behind Dylan's masterpiece Mm -hmm. that I co-wrote with a guy named Rick Shevchik, which is all about the Blood in the Tracks sessions and then all about those uh, six Minnesota musicians, their lives before, during, and after. So uh, they will be re-releasing Blue Guitar Highway with that. But this this book is... uh, Alphabet Jazz, it's, I'm very excited that you're having me up here to talk about. Yeah, so that kind of kind of answered my question, which was, so that was a, an autobiography, while this one is kind of uh, telling stories about so many of your friends and family who've been part of your life over the years, a lot of whom have passed on. Yeah. So what kind of was the impetus of making this book happen? When did you know, like, I should make a compilation of things like this? I was uh, decided to move out of Minneapolis where I lived for 40 years in the end of 2020. And uh, so I'm going through, you know, putting everything together. And, you know, I'd like to refer to myself as a collector. Uh, Ex-girlfriends refer to me as a pack rat. And uh, so I had had uh, song lyrics and poems and phrases and titles written on, you know, um, back of electric bills and on envelopes and on airline sickness bags when I was flying. And so I put everything together and I actually had, you know, two big boxes of stuff. So as I was going through it, I go, you know what? I think there's a compilation here. And uh, because I've, I've always written in a variety of styles, you know, the whole title of the book is Alphabet Jazz, Poetry, Prose, Stories, and Songs. So I thought this would be a good way to collect a lot of these stories and really document my 40 years in Minneapolis. I say in the preface of the book uh, that it's really kind of in a way, it's uh, Valentine to the city of Minneapolis where I found a friendship and inspiration in every part of town. Yeah, because you're from the Iron Range up on Virginia and then... Virginia, Minnesota, the yeah. queen city of the Iron Range. Yeah, absolutely. It's a beautiful spot. It really is. And uh, so this goes through a lot of different musicians that you met down there. And yeah, having it's if if you read the book, it's interspersed with short stories and and memories, but also not just poetry and letters, but but songs. So tell me about the song component of this and why you wanted to have that in addition to all those remnants and stuff. I always like when I write a song, I like it to look good on paper. So it kind of resembles poetry, whether it is or not, it's not for me to decide. Uh, So in a way, Will, the beautiful thing about using songs in there, I thought, you know, how am I going to put this together? What, uh, What sort of chronology can I use to kind of bookend all the different styles of writing? And I thought the songs is probably the best way to do that. So the first song in the book is Paper Tigers, which was the title track of my first record, which was put out in 1984, for God's sakes, a 40-year anniversary coming up next year. It's hard to believe where the time went. So I took a lot of my songs and spread those out, so there's a chronology there. But then also I hooked up the songs to some of the stories I wrote. For example, my song Robots on Death Row, uh, I put that right next to the piece I wrote about the great blues man Willie Murphy, who 
played on the song Robots on Death Row on my first record, Paper Tigers. So I thought there was a connection there, at least uh, in my mind, kind of spiritually a connection between uh, the song and the musician. So it's not anything, you know, you might have to look for breadcrumbs to figure it all out or, or uh, you know, if we're having martinis at the bar, I could explain the rest to you. <laughs> but there's certain, uh, there's a certain thread that kind of connects them all. Yeah, absolutely. And is the intention like people kind of pause the book and listen to these songs that they've got along with it as, as they're reading? They can do that or they can just, you know, they're, they're companion pieces. But uh, a lot of people are enjoying just reading uh, the lyrics to the song. I ha- It's funny. I was telling a friend of mine this story. My, my song, Jack Ruby, uh, that I debuted actually at, ni- at 1992 at Farm Aid 5 in Dallas, Texas, in front of 20,000 unsuspecting uh, Texans, five miles from Dealey Plaza, where the uh, tragic JFK assassination took place. I uh, put the lyrics in there years ago after I put the record out. It's called Whistling Past the Graveyard. Yeah. I got a call at about three o'clock in the morning. I always used to pride myself on uh, having my phone number in the phone book because, you know, I'm a man of the people. Get a hold of me for whatever you need. And uh, it's too drunken yahoos calling me at about 3.30 in the morning. And I just got a bed after a gig, of course. <laughs> he said, Metza. I go, yeah. Do you know how many times you said Jack Ruby in your song, Jack Ruby? I go, no. <laughs> they go, 46. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's, you know, I mean, that's a couple of guys with way too much time on their hands. Oh, but uh, I haven't actually counted since I have the lyrics of the book how many times I did mention the name Jack Ruby. But uh, it, it's a good way, I think, into... Uh, the songs where you don't have to necessarily, I believe that they, you know, they stand poetically on their own and uh, you don't have to get uh, necessarily clouded by melodies and guitars and, you know, piano and singing. And you mentioned uh, Willie Murphy just, just now, and there's a lot of musicians of his caliber, real, a classic um, now legendary Minneapolis musicians, uh, Spider John Kerner comes up in the book. Can you kind of talk about what that was like around that music scene in that era? Oh, incredible. Uh, you know, when I moved to Minneapolis in 78, I've been down to Minneapolis several times. And, and uh, you know, Willie Murphy, Willie and the Bees, Kerner Rand Glover, my good buddy Dave Ray and Spider John, they yeah. play... Uh, it's a trio and occasionally it solos up in Duluth. So if they played at UMD or any of the clubs, I drive down from the range to see them. And I had several of their records. So when I finally moved to Minneapolis in 1978, I lived in South Minneapolis, mm-hmm. uh, about six blocks away from Orfolk Jokopas, which was kind of the wellspring from where uh, the whole punk rock scene came out of Minneapolis. They were, you know, you could go, uh, but hang out at Orfolk and buy records and, and, you know, bump into Bob Mole from Who's Could Do, who became a good friend of mine, and Dave Perner from Loud Fast Reels became Soul Asylum. Tommy Stinson from The Replacements would be there at 13 years old, skipping school. So I got real hip to the, uh, all the punk rock thing was going on and all that energy, which I loved. Uh, in fact, uh, Bob Stinson, it was a good guitar store and record store buddy of mine. We'd always bump into each other, you know, shopping for guitars or shopping for records. Said, you know, all the great 
Minneapolis rock and roll bands were between Lake, Lake Street and Franklin and Hennepin and Lindale. And he was right. And I lived right there. So I got that. But then when I would go to the West Bank and started playing the West Bank uh, with my band Cats and the Stars, seven nights a week you could, you could go hear Willie Murphy, Spider John Kerner, Dave Ray, uh, Ipso Facto, Bill Hinckley and Judy Larson. I got a piece on Bill Hinckley in the book. It was like, for me, it was like being a kid in a candy store. Then you had the artist court on 26th and Nicholas, so you could see Joe Pass and Tal Farlow and Jay McShann and uh, all these great jazz cats. And then Orchestra Hall, where I saw Bill Monroe and Andre Segovia. I mean, I was out, before I started playing five, six, seven nights a week, I was out seeing music six or seven nights a week. And these people were not, you know, they were gods to me, and they still are. So part of the book, I've got a piece on, you know, my good friend Willie Walker, who I played for, you know, weekly for 10 years with. We did 500 shows together. Willie Murphy, who became a very good friend of mine. The night John Kern and I spent in a hotel room with Guy Clark and Towns Van Zandt. That was a good story. Oh, <laughs> harrowing night. Kern still talks about it. So it was a way to, I also have a piece of, you know, my father, uh, my, my first rescue dog, Blackie. It was a way for me to keep these people and these stories alive. And it's, uh, you know, I just loved them all that much. Right. And something else that I really appreciate about this is, you know, you're telling stories about these well-known people, like, you know, even Towns Van Zandt and stuff. But there's a couple other stories in here where you're talking about, like, this woman who was like a booking agent for you. or Sue like, McLean. Yeah. And it's like these are people whose stories are often unsung or you, people don't even know about them. So it's cool that you're, you know, telling their story. Well, Sue McLean, in fact, I'm doing a, a big show at the Women's Club on March 25th in Minneapolis, uh, pro- uh, produced by Sue McLean and Associates. Sue McLean was one of the uh, most powerful independent rock promoters in the country. She got started in 1974. She booked her first gig. She booked the Suicide Commandos at a, a prom for some western suburb, probably Minnetonk or Wyzetta in Minneapolis, and went on to be one of the, the, the greatest promoters in the history of Minnesota. Uh, she, they booked for years the Minnesota Zoo. They booked, uh, she booked the Guthrie Theater. She booked me there seven or eight times. She, she, like I say in the book, she did more for my, uh, music career than just about anybody. We became very close friends. And, uh, Sue McLean and Associates run now by her, uh, niece Patricia and Kimberly Godshack, who is her right hand lady, uh, are still very much involved producing shows and Everybody in their operation is all women. It's a very hmm. women-run operation. But she is respected. That uh, uh, SMA is respected around the country as one of the uh, greatest independent uh, music promoters there is. Yeah. And uh, she was such a sweetheart, too. Yeah, it's, that's so cool is, like, getting those kind of stories or, like, um, I know this is, I'm trying to remember the guy It's like real early in the book and he was like a paraplegic and he, that Larry Keegan, yeah, this guy, Larry Keegan was a very good friend of mine. I used to call him my rabbi. I'm a, I'm a lapsed Methodist. Uh, he was an Orthodox Jew. He was a childhood friends of Bob Dylan and, uh, they went, they met at, uh, uh, Jewish youth camp in, I think it was Webster, Wisconsin and, um, became good friends. And when Bob used to come down, 
from uh, Hibbing. He'd go down and, and hang out with Larry, and they had a. Uh, they actually went into a, a record store on Christmas Eve, and uh, Jews don't celebrate Christmas, and so they were. Uh, and they went into a record store and they did a seven-song demo on an acetate, oh, which uh, Larry played for me. He had it on cassette. And it was seven songs with like Blue Moon and Jenny Jenny. And it was Bob playing piano and Larry and another friend singing. And it was the sound of just unbridled and pure joy. Larry got in a diving accident when he was 19 in Florida, lost the use of his legs. And then 10 years later, he got a car accident uh, in Mexico and became a quadriplegic. Uh, he and Bob stayed friends uh, throughout Larry's life. Larry passed away at the age of 60 on of all days 9-11 after going to pick up Bob's new record that came out on that day called Love and Theft. But Larry became a very good friend of mine. And uh, a part, you know, I talk a little bit about his friendship uh, with Dylan, uh, but I talked about what an amazing human being uh, he was. And though he was a quadriplegic you would never know from hanging out with him. I mean, he just seemed like you just, he just, he was like this just this amazingly spiritual character. And uh, you just expected him to get out of that wheelchair at any, any point during your conversation and start dancing. So he was, his story was so inspiring and was such a sweet cat. It was one, uh, one of the people in my life that I was just honored to know. This is Paul Metza joining me here on W. Stay tuned for more of Paul Metza's interview on the Wall of Power Radio Hour. You can't be brave if you are not scared. Well, the day is dark, but the night is darker. The honeybee stays in its hide. Well, the whippoorwill will sing tomorrow For those who ever got out alive Well, the river runs from golden mountains A redwood sways from side to side Bonnets grow on Texas prairies, on highways travel for those who got out alive. Abandoned hope, you must be kidding. My coat of steel. Which I wear Put this down Upon my tombstone You can't be brave If you're not scared You can't be brave If you're not scared
Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. You are listening to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metza. Last month, I did a great interview at WTIP Radio up in Grand Marais, Minnesota, with a DJ by the name of Will Moore. We talked quite a bit about the book and this and that. We are going to replay that courtesy of WTIP. So here you go. Talking about his book, Alphabet Jazz, Poetry, Prose, Stories, and Songs, uh, filled with stories of remembrance of a number of uh, characters throughout his own musical career and life and uh, the Minneapolis music scene and lots of songs and, and poetry mixed in between. And what I liked about this book, I guess, after after finishing it, it was I realized, you know, there's a lot of stories in here about meaningful people who have passed away. Yeah. And that's kind of the end of every story. But it never feels sad. It feels celebratory and, and jubilant, which I think is a good way to go about it. Well, all those people brought so much to my life. When I remember them, you know, all I remember is the good times. Memory is funny like that. That's kind of how memory works, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so I wanted to share the stories of these people with other people because there's there's lessons with all of those uh, people that I that I wrote about in the book. And it, it was it was a, a great way for me, like when I wrote about the last Thanksgiving with my dad, who right. passed away, for, you know, four months after that. It was a great way to share these stories and um, and for people to enjoy their lives in a way secondhand. The people that, like Willie Walker's wife Judy and and uh, Larry Keegan's the love of his life, Carol Kruger, they uh, they've really enjoyed reading the book about uh, their loved ones. So that's been a, a really fun role to play, to be able to, for them to go back and kind of relive their lives with these people as well. Yeah, absolutely. Like, even if you are not, you know, hip to what was going on in the music scene at that time, it's like these stories about your family and your dog, especially like those are, um, you know, those are just things that I think would touch a lot of people regardless. You know? Well, this is probably one of the few, few, uh, few books that was came out last year that actually has uh, several pieces written by dogs. Uh, by dogs. By dogs, yeah. yes. Not about dogs, although it's kind of about the dogs too. My first uh, rescue, Blackie, who I, I rescued at Contented Critters in northern Minnesota, who came in from a kill shelter in Thief River Falls, came into Contented Critters with no kill shelter, got adopted immediately by this young farm couple. Blackie was with with them for about a week, chewed through his leash, and spent all four seasons by himself in northern Minnesota. He became a legend. Uh, by the time they finally, uh, a woman uh, tricked him into coming in her barn to feed him, and they finally got him to contented critters. But he literally spent all four seasons in northern Minnesota, and for thus, for those of us in northern Minnesota, you can only imagine what a little thirty-two pound dog what they've got to go through to survive. I mean, they were seeing there was Blackie stories. Yeah, I saw him in the garbage can. Yeah, I see he was sleeping in my truck. Yeah, I saw him in the barn. So I spent sixteen years with him, and we really developed. Anybody that has a dog, will you said you said your girlfriend just got one. Anybody that has a dog knows that you have this psychic relationship with them. And uh, so I was able to, Blackie wrote a long piece about how I adopted him and our lives together. Uh, but I was also, 
you know, we had, it was such a, a, a major part of my life that I wanted to share his story. And he turns out he's a pretty damn good writer as well. Yeah. Why don't I read uh, Blue, my current, he wrote a poem at the very end. And, uh, you know, he's a little full of himself, so he named it after himself. Blue. So this is, to clarify, this is your new dog, Blue, and this is a poem that he wrote. He wrote this okay. poem. Called it Blue. I mean, of course, he wrote it. can call it whatever he wants. He, I adopted him. I was after uh, Blackie died. And put, when we put Blackie down, I tell that story in the book. And that part of, uh, it's called Blackie and Paul, a dog and his man. I was literally... Uh, when I was writing that, I was literally wiping away tears with one hand and typing with the other. And uh, so, you know, and anybody who's had a dog knows what I'm talking about. When you lose a dog or have to let your dog go and you never want to keep your dog in pain for any longer than they have to be, uh, you don't want to extend a dog's life for your own satisfaction. So when I had to put... Uh, have the vet come over to the house to give Blackie up to uh, the Rainbow Bridge. Um, everybody goes, you got to get a new dog, got to get a new dog. I said, no, no, the dog will find me. Well, sure enough, that fall, I lived in a, oh, I owned an old duplex in Northeast Minneapolis and I had some cracks in the foundation. So about every other year I'd get, I'd get mice and sneak in through the kitchen. So I thought, well, maybe I'll get a cat. So I went to, I do a lot of, uh, over the years I've done a lot of benefits for uh, different dog uh, rescue operations and humane shelters. And so I was went to uh, Homeward Bound Dog Rescue that I did a lot of gigs for. And I go, well, let's see what kind of cats they have because they were having adoption at PetSmart on that Saturday. And I'm looking through, go, eh, maybe I'll just peek at the dogs. So I looked and there was this dog with this goofiest smile. His name was Highway. Somebody left him on the side of a highway in Alabama. So I went there the next day. I, I called my friend Sherry. I said, put a, uh, put a tag on this guy. I've got a good feeling about him. And he was in a little kennel, and I went and I walked him out. He was about 32 pounds, just about the same size as Blackie. And I walked him out to the petting area. And I tell the story. I had to mop the middle aisle at PetSmart because he wasn't going to get up. You know, they trucked him up from Alabama with all these dogs. He's been with these dogs. He doesn't know for a month. And so finally, I got up. I was petting him, and I got up, and he jumped up to give me my first hug. And his he's got beagle coloring, so he's black, white, and yellow. And I happened to be wearing a, a leather uh, jacket that was black, white, and yellow, so we matched perfectly. And there was this guy standing next to us outside by the petting part of uh, the pet store. And I said, hey, would you take a picture of us? And he goes, are you Paul Metz? I go, yeah. He goes, I loved your book, Blue Guitar Highway. So I looked down at the dog. His name was Highway. I go, Blue Guitar Highway. I go, this dog is mine. So I went and I asked to Sherry, I go, go see if they, they wanted 400 bucks for him, which was more than fair. I mean, they, they, uh, they fixed him and they... And they trucked him up from Alabama. They put him up for a month, and and they uh, uh, gave him all his shots. I said, "But but I needed tires for my truck too." So I said, "See if there's a deal here for us." So they came back out and said, uh, "Because you've done so much good work for us uh, fundraisers, a lot which I used to do with Blackie right next to me says uh, we're going to gift him to you." So anyway, uh, Blue, his full name is Blue 
Guitar Highway 61 Metza. And this is the poem in Alphabet Jazz, just called Blue. I was left on a highway in Alabama, just four paws and me, on a highway ridden by those blind like Helen Keller and those who wrote like Harper Lee, those who ran like Jesse Owens and like Rosa Parks who sat so silently, like Zelda who married F. Scott Fitzgerald and Sun Ra louder than cannons on Tripoli. I'm both soft and loud like that, took but one day for you to see. Hearts collide, then melt like that, as one that man-dog jubilee. That God, he's a funny God, the universe from A to Z. Who is to ask, who really knows, matters not to you or me. There we go. That was from Blue, who not only a great uh, poet as a dog, Seems to have a knowledge of history and music, too, so that's pretty cool. Everybody he referenced was actually from <laughs> Alabama. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Paul Metz is my guest right now on the Scenic Group. We're talking about his book, Alphabet Jazz, uh, that has a companion CD along with it. He'll be hearing songs from that uh, Spanish... Stay tuned for more of Paul Metz's interview on the Wall of Power Radio Hour. You can't be brave if you're not scared. not forget those vanishing footsteps and all those soldiers who fought side to side we salute them all in midnight moments especially those who got out near and the clock is ticking I hope the answer comes from nine to five I say a prayer to those still listening and for those who got out alive Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. You are listening to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metza. Last month, I did a great interview at WTIP Radio up in Grand Marais, Minnesota, with a DJ by the name of Will Moore. We talked quite a bit about the book and this and that. We are going to replay that courtesy of WTIP. So here you go. Paul Metza is my guest right now on the Scenic Group. We're talking about his book, Alphabet Jazz. Uh, that has a companion CD along with it. He'll be hearing songs from that uh, spanning his career. I want to get back to to one more story from the book I was curious about, but just to break things up, I was going to ask, what have you been doing musically lately? Have you been playing gigs or writing new songs? No, actually I'm recovering from, I had a uh, uh, a foot injury, Mm -hmm. and uh, I've spent the last uh, four months doing hyperbaric oxygen therapy, uh, two hours a day uh, at the uh, St. Luke's and uh, to help heal the wound. And uh, I'm on the uh, 
I'm back. I'm not on the running track, but I'm back on track. So actually, I'm doing my first gig in several months. Uh, if anybody's down in Duluth at the Blackwater Lounge tomorrow night from 8 to 11. Uh, but yeah, I'm looking forward to playing uh, some more and doing some book reading gigs. In fact, if there's anybody out there, I'd love to come up to Grand Marais and do a show somewhere in conjunction with uh, one of your humane shelters up here. Sell some books and raise some money uh, and uh, have a few cocktails. So if anybody's out there, uh, get a hold of Will here at the station. He can get a hold of me and uh, love to come up and uh, do something up here and raise some money for the doggies. Yeah, we'll figure it out somehow for the dogs. Well, speaking of doing book readings, uh, your writing style, uh, I'm trying to find, like, what's the blurb on the back here? Uh, Metz is a beat-influenced motor mouth, says Britt Robson of City Pages. Is there, like, a writing style that you think you have or something that inspired you? Because it, it is kind of like some of these stories kind of do read, like, beat poetry. I don't know. Oh, yeah, well, a I'm a huge, you know, I'm a, you know my generation, man, I'm a huge... Jack Kerouac, Gregory Corso, Allen Ginsberg guy, have been since I was in high school. And uh, in fact, the, the Kelly Hodgkiss, the, the man I dedicate the book to, uh, we went to high school together. He was a year older than me. And uh, that's, you know, that's what we used to do is we would just uh, trade books and uh, songs and poetry like, you know, a lot of guys traded baseball cards. And so he was... Um, that's kind of like, you know, we read a lot. I had a really good uh, English teacher in high school named Tom Moeller, who actually took classes from a guy named B.J. Rolfson, who was a legendary English and humanities teacher from Hibbing High School, uh, who Bob Dylan told personally that he was his greatest influence. And uh, Tom was a student of B.J.'s, so I feel like I got a little bit of B.J.'s magic uh, secondhand through Tom. But, I've you know, I've always... Uh, read a lot. I'm reading, you know, five or six books right now. What what I, what was really fun for me to do this book and why I call it Alphabet Jazz, it's my uh, style of writing, uh, or my, my writing in a variety of styles. I have prose, some straight prose, some more kind of beatnik-edged uh, flow of consciousness, song lyrics, and then uh, some poems which are some are stream of consciousness and some more are just kind of, in a way, iamic pentameter so it's kind of a that's why i call alphabet yeah it's a little bit of everything gotcha yeah um and i'm i'm glad you brought up the bob dylan teacher because the last story i wanted to ask you about was this dave morton guy yeah who was like your neighbor to your dad and he like knew bob dylan growing up and tell me about this dude oh uh, morton was an incredible guy if you uh for those dylan fans out there that read what i think's the the best Dylan biography, No Direction Home by Robert Shelton. Robert Shelton was also the guy that wrote uh, the great review of Bob Dylan in 1961 for the New York Times that John Hammond, uh, the great Columbia record producer, got hip to Bob through that and then through Carolyn Hester's recording session where he discovered Bob playing harmonica. In the first uh, several pages of the book, it talks about how Bob Dylan, when he moved to Dinkytown, from hemming and started hanging out in the whole dinky town beatnik and folk and blues scene with a guy named Diamond Dave Whitaker, uh, who turned Bob on to, uh, Woody Guthrie and, uh, and Dave Morton. And in the beginning of the No Direction Home, Shelton describes Dave Morton as when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. And it's about Dave Morton's influence on Bob Dylan. 
turning him on to um, uh, Eastern religion, probably whatever sort of, you know, dope they were smoking back then, and, and poetry, and, uh, and folk and blues. In fact, according to Dave Morton, who I met on a construction site in 1976, told me that uh, he had heard Bob when he started to play all this folk and blues when he moved down to Dinkytown and was associated with Kurt Ray and Glover and all the rest down there. He, he told Dylan one day, uh, whose name's still named Robert Zimmerman, he said, you know, I like your, your folk and blues, but you should consider writing your own songs. Well, Morton turns out, I met him on a construction site on a cement pour. His uh, farm in Angora, Minnesota, was only a mile from the original Mensa homestead, and he used to caretake my Aunt Lil, who was still living there. Uh, it was in the Mensa family for years, that place. And um, But Morton also had a jug band called the Juke Savages and performed at uh, the Electric Kool-Aid Acid Test with Ken Kesey. He's actually in the Tom Wolf book, The Electric Kool-Aid Acid Test, and it's also in the Rolling Stone uh, book of the 500 most influential bands in American history, which has been uh, the Juke Savages. He was also one of the guys in 19... Uh, 61 went down to, or was it 63, went down to Mississippi as part of the Freedom, Freedom Riders. Uh, they took a bus down or two from Minneapolis with Marv Davidov, who he suggested come down. Marv started the Honeywell Project, lifelong anti-war resistor. Uh, so Dave played a real part in the whole beatnik and folk and music culture uh, in Dinkytown. Then he moved up to northern Minnesota, and he and I played together quite a bit uh, and got to be really good friends. And uh, so his influence is still being felt mm-hmm. in the Minneapolis area, uh, Dinkytown area, and certainly up on the Iron Ranch. He was just a really larger-than-life human being. Yeah, being the guy to recommend that Dylan write his own material is an unbelievable claim to fame that <laughs> is uh, probably unnoticed by many. Yeah, oh. and then, like I say in the book, then he ended up living in the same senior home that my dad did. So I talked about my dad who came from the, you know, uh, my dad was born in 28. Uh, Dave was, was born about 10 years later, maybe 12 or 13 years later. Dave, I think, was born in 40 or 41. But... So, da- so dad grew up in the World War II generation and uh, Dave grew up in, you know, when the 50s were breaking out and to become, you know, flowering into what became the 60s. So really two generations that were really at, at one point in history at loggerheads, really spending their twilight years, years together, really looking out for one another. Dave would always make sure my dad made it home from the casino safe and sound. And when my dad, who ate like a sparrow, always had more food to eat, he'd always say, uh, take it up to Dave to let Dave finish his meals. Man, that's amazing. That's Amer- that, to me, is America. When you can have people from different generations, both patriots in their own way, in the case of these two guys from their separate generations, but coming together at the end, enjoying their, both their, their families and their work and their station in life, and in Dave's case, it's hard as well. Um, that's that's just one of the stories you can find in uh, this book from Paul Metza, who's joining me here today, Alphabet Jazz. And uh, to kind of wrap up here, Paul, 
uh, want to let people know that they're hearing your voice on the air right now. And they're going to hear more of it with an upcoming series that you're going to be doing on this station, it sounds like. Yeah, I've uh, been talking to the great Annie Passis about, uh, I've got a radio show in Minneapolis called the Wall and Power Radio Hour on AM 950 for eight years. People can stream that. I also have a TV show called Wall and Power TV. But I've always wanted to do, uh, when I started my radio show, I wanted to have a segment called The Senior Moment. Uh, interviews with people over 60 with something to say and a story to tell. And truthfully, there's so many beautiful stories out there. Uh, and I've had a lot of great people on my radio show over 60 into their 70s, 80s. Uh, and so we're going to work on a show and we're going to debut it here probably. I think we're talking March here on WTIP. And I'm very excited about that. And then, too, if people want to get the book, they can order it on Amazon. And uh, hopefully we'll see if we can uh, get it to the bookstore here in Grand Marais as well. I actually did my Blue Guitar Highway. We did a, a book release there. And if you're in Duluth, you can get it at the Zenith Bookstore on the West End as well. Yeah, right next to Wusos. Yeah. Spot. Well, cool. Thanks so much, Paul, for being in and, and uh, telling us all about this. Is there anything else you want people to know? Uh, no, just um, I'm really excited to be living in Duluth. The first uh, year I rented the first floor of Bob Dylan's Childhood Home where I finished both books. So that was very inspiring. And now it's just, be you know, when I moved back up here to northern Minnesota, I thought, yeah, I'm gonna, it's going to be all about reinvention and rediscovery. And really what I discovered, Will, is what I'm discovering is just who I used to be in the first place. Mm-hmm. So I love, yeah. I love it up here. Um, and who doesn't love Lake Superior? Exactly. That's it. Um, do you want to maybe read one more passage or, or poem from the book to kind of send us out? Sure, I'd love to. How about... And then we'll play uh, the most recent song on here, You Can't Be Brave If You're Not Scared. Great. This is called Whispered Note Between Strangers. Even the bell of midnight needs a night off now and then. The moon goes in and out on its own time, keeps it all to himself, it will sh- I will share, of course, with friends, but sometimes friends are hard to find, and this night might be one of those. With a j- jug half full of wine in an alley full of nothing, anything or everything is possible. In stillness, time is almost out of reach. Daylight just round the corner. At least, let's hope so. No angles or the jingle-jangle bells of morning. Dawn's all gray and nothing but forgiving. And when it casts its glance to the judge's chair, let's hope to God he is asleep. In sleep and dreams, we all become equal. In sleep and dreams, we become who we are. In beauty, grace, and the rusted sunshine of all promises that were promised to no one, but moon's honest light are welcome to all. I'll take it. Throw buffalo nickels to dead-end kids and lend dollars to pinstripe men and women with kids at home, for even those without them would do the same. For those of us with God and those of us without, at the end of a darkened day can agree to at least feed the hungry mouths and hearts that heard we were near and had something to give, that heard our beating hearts and wanted to dance that knew we had blood like their own and could always share our liquid heart.
Thanks for listening to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. We'd like to thank WTIP Radio and host Will Moore for letting us rerun this interview I did with them last month. This show was produced by John Servisto and Brett Johnson. Once again, my show celebrating the recent Alphabet Jazz Poetry, Prose Stories and Songs Saturday, March 25th at the Women's Club in Minneapolis. Advanced tickets and VIP packages available at SueMcLean.com. And like my dad used to tell me, remember to be kind and make someone happy.